You're listening to Nonprofit Confidential, episode number 12. Hey there, welcome back to Nonprofit Confidential. I'm your host, Sheila Nemeshikavi. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we are chatting about stress awareness and, more importantly, what we can do to relieve stress for ourselves and also as nonprofit leaders, what we can do to help our teams. Before we get into it, this episode is brought to you by Third Suite's free guide, How to Make Daily Progress on Your Strategic Plan. You can get this by signing up for our email list, and you'll not only get this free guide, but you'll also receive weekly podcast reminders, exclusive discounts, early access to courses, and much more. If you haven't signed up yet, just head over to www.thirdsuite.com and it's right on the homepage. So it's National Stress Awareness Month and normally these types of observances draw our attention to an issue for a short period of time and then we kind of forget about it for the rest of the year. But I don't want us to do that with stress awareness. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that whenever I interview guests, I like to end with the question, what do you do for self-care? And I do this for a couple of reasons. First, I want to reiterate the importance of building time for ourselves into the day. Let's be honest, working in the nonprofit sector is not easy. Our focus is on those we serve, and it's that greater purpose that drives us most days. But in order to continue to serve effectively, we really need to make sure that we're bringing our best selves forth. Second, I ask, what do you do for self-care so that we can all get ideas for how we can build self-care into our days? This looks different for everyone. And I know when you're running around for work and then come home to cook, take care of kids, and squeeze in those last few emails before bed, taking time for yourself can feel really indulgent, right? I mean, the to-do list is just so long. So I love to get ideas from our guests because our colleagues are so clever and have little ways that they make time for self-care that we can all learn from. Before we get into some tips, let's first chat about why National Stress Awareness Month was created in the first place. According to awarenessdays.com, Stress Awareness Month started in 1992. They say, throughout this period of time, teams of experts aim to increase public awareness about stress. This includes highlighting the causes of stress, the negative effects stress can have on the mind and body, and how to relieve stress. Most people will experience stress at some point in their life, but constant or extreme stress is bad for both the mind and body. They go on to describe stress as the silent killer, which I know we've all heard before, but that phrase just gets me every time I hear it. Because here's the thing, stress is pervasive these days. Our culture seems to promote constantly being busy and working long hours. It's almost like a badge of honor to talk about how busy we are. And in the nonprofit sector, when the work that you're doing is you know, helping someone gain access to shelter or get food, it's really easy to put in those long hours and feel like you absolutely have to because of your greater purpose. There's also the ongoing sources of stress, such as 
that constant pressure to raise more and more money for the organization. Or maybe you feel like your boss doesn't value you. Or maybe you feel pressure coming down on you from the board. Or your supervising staff who don't seem particularly motivated. Or perhaps you had to let some staff go because your grant funding was terminated. These are all very common events in our sector. And stress comes in so many forms. For the nonprofit sector, we have the stress of just working. So that's the interpersonal challenges within the office and striving to achieve. And that just comes with working in general. But we also have an emotional stress layer on top of that, which comes from the work that we do, which is providing a service to our community. As we know, nonprofits are formed because there is some kind of necessary service that's lacking. So our community is often dependent on us to fulfill that need. So whether you're listening to this in April during Stress Awareness Month or not, I think it's critical to our work and to our missions to take some time and identify what your sources of stress are because they are out there. And then let's figure out some simple ways to build in stress relievers into your day. Okay, so let's get into some ways that we can reduce stress in our lives. I have just five ideas here, but there are so, so many. Again, this is going to look different for each person. And if these aren't a good fit for you, I really encourage you to go back and listen to previous episodes where I've interviewed guests because they've all offered some fantastic tips. Okay, so the first suggestion I have is to build in a mindfulness practice. It seems like mindfulness is all the rage these days, and there really are some excellent free or nominally priced apps you can get that offer guided meditations. Personally, I like Headspace or Calm, but there are many, many others, and I'll provide some links for you in the show notes. So practicing mindfulness has been shown to lead to less intense stress responses because the idea is to learn to not immediately react to issues as they arise. Rather, through the practice, you learn to become aware of your thoughts so that when a situation does arise, you can pause and figure out the best way to solve the problem without being reactive. There's also research indicating that mindfulness can actually result in less firing of the amygdala, and that's the part of your brain that plays a large role in the stress response. In case you're a huge nerd like me and you're interested in learning more about this, I'll go ahead and link to the study in the show notes as well. So clearly there is a direct correlation between establishing a mindfulness practice and stress reduction. And the wonderful thing is that you don't need a lot of time to establish a practice. Just 10 minutes a day can make a huge difference. Plus, those apps that I just mentioned, they also have guided meditations that kind of build you up to 10 minutes. So if you have trouble sitting still, you can start off at three minutes, build yourself up to five minutes, and then 10, and then upward. If establishing a a mindfulness practice really isn't your thing, The next suggestion I have is to journal. I'm a huge fan of journaling, partly because I'm obsessed with stationery and will truly use any excuse to buy a new notebook and some colored pens and some stickers if we're really being honest. But I've also found that journaling helps me set my intention for the day more so than just thinking about it. 
something about writing it out just feels more official and it becomes ingrained in my brain and sticks with me throughout the day. There's also so many forms of journaling, so you can find the version that works best for you. You can buy a journal that has prompts in it or make up your own prompts. You can just write out how you're feeling that morning and what your goals are for the day. That's more or less what I do. But there's also this idea of morning pages, which essentially is a kind of brain dump. So the idea is to write stream of consciousness style, just whatever pops into your head, and you just keep going until you hit three pages. I'll provide links for all of these suggestions in the show notes so you can get more detail about how to implement each one. So morning pages is an idea from the artist's way, but I don't want that name to throw you off. Truly anyone can do it. It's just a form of journaling. Okay, so if writing really isn't your thing, another idea is to practice loving kindness. I know the name sounds a bit out there, and if you prefer, you can call it by its other name, which is meta meditation. Either way, it's a really powerful practice. So as the name suggests, loving kindness meditations center on focusing your positive energy. Typically, you would first focus your energy on yourself and then move outward from there. So first you might focus on yourself, then close friends and family, then coworkers, then acquaintances, and then total strangers. And the practice helps you generate a positive change in your attitude, and that can help you in so many ways. But most importantly, it can help calm your mind down from confusion, pain, and stress. This practice also helps you develop more empathy, which of course is helpful during stressful situations. Again, you don't need a lot of time for this meditation practice. Just 10 minutes is enough to start with. And many of the apps that offer mindfulness meditations also offer guided loving-kindness meditations, So you kind of get more bang for your buck with that. All right. My fourth suggestion is to get creative. Focus your energy on a creative project such as painting, knitting, playing music, cooking, gardening, or even a DIY project around the house. Just whatever you enjoy. The reason is that creative projects get you out of your head When you're really focusing on what you're creating, it's almost as if time doesn't exist. A recent study in the Journal of Art Therapy found that when participants were given the opportunity to create art, whatever the source or medium they chose to do, 75% of participants experienced reduced cortisol levels. And cortisol is that stress hormone that shoots up during stressful situations. Plus, you get the positive feelings associated with that satisfaction of creating or mastering something new. Doing something creative might take a bit more time than some of the other suggestions here, but it really is a great way to pick up a new hobby or maybe even get back to an old hobby that you used to love. All right, so my last suggestion is to create routines. Routines help you eliminate decision fatigue which is essentially just the experience of getting mentally exhausted from from making decision after decision. It's the reason why some people, like Mark Zuckerberg, for example, have been known to wear the same thing every day. This is also known as easing your cognitive load. 
So you don't have to wear the same thing every day, but anything you can do to reduce the number of those tiny little decisions you need to make every day can help. For instance, maybe that looks like preparing your meals on the weekend so you don't have to think about what you're going to eat each day. It's already prepped and waiting for you. Or if you're a Big Bang Theory fan, you can do like Sheldon does and set specific cuisines for each night of the week or set certain chores for specific days and times in the week so you don't have to think about it. It's kind of like, you know how you take out the trash the night before pickup? You don't really have to stop and think about it. You just do it. It's become a routine now. It's one less decision to make. Again, this will look different for you. You definitely don't want to eliminate a decision that you actually enjoy making. So let's say you really enjoy picking out your clothes each morning because you know, you're know you a fashionista. I love that. Then wearing a uniform would really suck the life out of your mornings. But maybe you're not exactly a foodie and really wouldn't mind eating the same breakfast or lunch every day. Okay, so those are my five suggestions for how you can reduce stress for yourself. I really hope you found them useful and find that you can implement at least one of them. If you're wondering how you're going to fit any of these activities into your already hectic schedule, I totally understand. I think what it comes down to is that we need to make self-care a priority. And when something is a priority, you stick it on your calendar, you make an appointment with yourself and block that time off. Block it off so you can't do anything else except your self-care activity during this time. If you had a doctor's appointment or a workout class scheduled, you would block that time off your calendar and would do whatever it takes to make it to that appointment. So we need to do the same with our self-care. And I know it's not easy. There are always fires to put out and life happens. But unless we make self-care a priority, it's not going to happen. I personally find that there are three times that are a little bit easier to build self-care into your day. The first is as soon as you wake up in the morning. If you can wake up just 10 or 15 minutes earlier, you can squeeze in some you time. And since it's early in the morning, there's likely nothing else you can do during that time. So hopefully you won't feel like your priorities are competing with each other. It's before the workday starts and depending on what time you wake up, everyone else might be sleeping. Also, taking care of yourself in the morning sets the tone for your day. You're putting it out there that you are a priority and you can't serve others unless you serve yourself first. If nothing else, doing your self-care in the morning just gets it out of the way. It's kind of like working out in the morning. You do it, you get it over with, and then you don't have to worry about it the rest of the day. Okay, getting it over with is probably not the best way to view your self-care, but hey, some days that's exactly what it feels like. Okay, so the next time of day you can build self-care into your schedule is lunchtime. This time of day is nice because it breaks up your day and can get you out of that midday slump that occurs after lunch. Halfway through your workday is also nice because you can, you know, reset your mind for the remainder of the day. Perhaps you had a stressful morning, so taking some time to cool down, focus on yourself, can prevent a bad morning from spilling over and affecting the rest of your day in a negative way. 
Plus, a lot of times people won't schedule meetings around lunchtime since others may be out for lunch. Depending on your work and what your role is, you may have a lot of lunchtime meetings, but maybe there's some other time during the workday that you can steal some time for yourself and get re-energized for the remainder of the day. And the last time of day that you can build self-care into your schedule is, of course, the end of the day right before bed. This time of day has some of the same benefits as morning since, again, most people are probably asleep. There's not really much else you can do. One thing that is nice about self-care at night is that it gives you a chance to reflect on your day and think about what you might want to do differently. It also kind of preps you for the next day. And your self-care might actually help you fall asleep easier. So if you're stressed out about, say, a big meeting or a big presentation that's going to be the next day, your self-care will help you calm down so you can get a good night's rest before the big day. I do want to add that there really is no right time, no right activity for self-care. Just do whatever feels best for you and your lifestyle. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about how nonprofit leaders can facilitate stress reduction among your employees or your team. So the American Institute of Stress cites the following as potential sources of stress for employees, low salary, excessive workloads, poor peer support, limited career growth options, and tasks that are dull or not challenging. Do any of those sound familiar? Depending on where you work, you and your team may check off every single one of these sources of stress. So what can you do as a leader to remedy what you can? First is one that I'm sure you've heard before, and that is to allow for flexible work schedules. I know many nonprofits already do this, so I won't spend too much time on this suggestion. But flexibility really is wonderful for staff to know that, one, you value them and their contributions to your organization. And two, being flexible allows your team to create some semblance of balance between their various roles with work and personal commitments. It also shows that you trust your employees to get their work done and do what they say they will. And that's a powerful message to send to your team. I would only express one bit of caution, and that is just to make sure that there is clear communication when team members are working out of the office so the rest of the team know what to expect. And along that line, my next suggestion is to set very clear goals and expectations so staff know exactly what is expected of them. It's so frustrating and stress-inducing for supervisors to give vague instructions only to criticize the product they are presented with. Not only does this waste time because now your staff member has to redo whatever it was they originally did, but it's also really discouraging for your team. You've heard it before. You want to make sure to create specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound goals, and make sure every time you ask someone to do something, your instructions are very clear. Okay, my third suggestion is to encourage movement. Movement helps clear the mind and gets those creative juices flowing. When you want your team to function at its best, breaking up the day with some movement is a great way to achieve this. It can be as simple as extending the lunch hour to guarantee that everyone has ample time to fit in a 30 to 45 minute walk. 
or when you schedule your one-on-one check-ins with your staff, maybe make these walking meetings where you go out and make a loop around the block. You can also purchase those standing desks for your office so your staff can stand or sit as they please. My fourth suggestion is to celebrate each and every win. It's so easy to get caught up in waiting for the big win. Maybe you have a fundraising goal of $20,000 and your development officer just hit $10,000. It's not quite the goal yet, but that's okay. Celebrate the win. Let them know their efforts have been recognized and encourage them to keep up the good work. Along this thread, something that one of our clients does is they have something called a high five basket. People celebrate each other's accomplishments by writing a little high five note and they stick it in this basket. Each week during the staff meeting, these high five notes are read aloud and everyone gets to share in the celebration. That's such a fun way to incorporate a little bit of fun and celebration into every work week. Last but not least, my fifth suggestion for you is simply to check in with your staff and really ask how they're doing. And I mean, not just the simple, hey, how are you kind of thing, but make sure everything is okay, particularly regarding their stress level with their work. I've said so many times that the work nonprofit organizations do can be emotionally exhausting, especially for frontline staff. These staff have to take the tough calls, have tough conversations, and handle emotionally charged situations. As the team leader or leader of the organization, you can help by making sure your staff know they can let you know if they're having a rough day or if they just need to talk through a tough case. So those are all the tips I have for you to reduce stress for yourself or for your team. I really, really, really hope you found these helpful and will implement some of them. And actually, I'd love to know what you do for self-care. So please comment on the latest Instagram post or Facebook post with your self-care tips. And again, all of the links that we talked about here will be on the show notes. So just head over to www.thirdsuite.com forward slash 12. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. I will talk to you next week.